Welcome to The Compass, the weekly podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we share from God's Word. Let me take this opportunity to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 1410 North Porter Road of Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you have any questions about the Word or about our ministry here in Fayetteville, let me encourage you to reach out. You can contact us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com or call us at 479-442-4634. On today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is continuing our introductory message in a series on the book of Ephesians. It's Sit, Walk, Stand, Part 2 from Ephesians chapter 1. Let's listen together. I love that song, All I Have is Christ. You know the problem, I think, one of the main problems we as Americans have today, I, I think we all want God in our life, but we want God and, and you fill in the blank, you know, God and my plans, God and my ambitions, God and all these other things that we work and strive to gain in life. But when you come to the place that Christ is all you want, and Christ is all you need, and when Christ is all that you have, you will then be ready to begin what the Christian life is supposed to be all about. And that's what the book of Ephesians is about. Uh, If you will uh, allow me to spend just a couple of minutes, we began uh, this brand new series last week, and this first message, which has turned into these first two messages, have to do with basically the, the broad overview and outline of this letter from the Apostle Paul to these Ephesian believers. Now, it's very helpful to know some background to this church at Ephesus, uh, where they were, uh, what uh, their particular circumstances were, and we will interject some of that as we go along, but if you go back a couple of weeks uh, on our Facebook page and hear Pastor Dan's message from a couple of weeks ago, you'll get a lot of that background that'll help you understand more what Paul is saying here and why he is saying it. Now, I told you last week that, that the, the letter to the Ephesians can be summed up in three words. And this is not original with me. I remember back in the 70s discovering a little paperback book called uh, Sit, Walk, Stand by an author by the name of Watchman Nee. And uh, it was a life-changing uh, little book. And he's not the only one to say that these three words, sit, walk, stand, uh, summarize basically the Christian life, summarizes the book of Ephesians, summarizes what spiritual maturity and discipleship is all about. And so we started talking about this last week, that first of all, we must know what it means uh, to sit with Christ so that from there we can learn to walk with Christ, so that then when the attacks of the enemy come in life, we can stand, we can withstand the attacks of the enemy. Sit, walk, stand. And they happen progressively in that order. 
And you never cease to do one when you move on to the other, but, but we continue to do all three of these, for they feed each other and they make sense of the Christian experience. Now, concerning the word sit, which we talked about last week, what do we mean when we say that we need to sit? And if that's where the Christian life begins, and that's where uh, real discipleship starts. We said that it means basically two things. First of all, in the book of Ephesians, he tells us a rather shocking truth. If you look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, you find these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Notice the phrase, in the heavenly places. Then verse 20. And he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. If I were to ask you, where is Jesus today? How would you answer that? Well, the answer is, he is in heaven. He is in the heavenly places. When Jesus hung on the cross and declared, it is finished. He was not just talking about his physical life. He was talking about his mission that he came to earth to fulfill. The mission given to him by his father. The mission that he lived his whole life in observance of and in fulfilling. It was the mission of redeeming humankind from our sins. Of living a perfect life. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died in our place a sacrificial death. He died for my sins. I deserved it, but he paid the price. That he was buried, that he rose on the third day, that he ascended back to the Father, and he is there making intercession for us. He is also there preparing a place for his people. So when he said it is finished, he was saying, my, my work of redemption, my work of securing salvation for mankind is complete, okay? And when it was complete, he ascended back to the heavenlies and took his rightful seat at the right hand of the Father. But then there is a shocking statement in chapter 2 and verse 6. Turn the page and you will see it. It says in Ephesians 2 and 6, that he raised us up with him. The Father raised us up with Jesus and seated us with Jesus, with him, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What in the world does that mean? Is it just some kind of heavenly mumbo-jumbo? Does it have significance? Does it have real meaning? Is it legitimate? Is it bogus? What is the deal here? It is literal, and it is meaningful, and you need to understand it. That if you are a child of God, you, right now, though you are seated here in this building, you are seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. That spiritually, you are there. That you are not only going there when you die, but you are already there, and understand, well, that's the wrong word, because I don't think we can fully understand it. But believe it, that you have been in Christ, in the heavenlies, even before 
creation. We're going to discover in chapter 1 that in eternity past, even before man was created and placed on this earth, that God had chosen those that would be His, that He predestined them, that He called them, that they are in Him from eternity past. We have always been seated in Christ in the heavenlies. There is no past. There is no present. There is no future. This is not some pie in the sky when I die. This is right now. It has always been. Why is that? Because God is eternal. He is outside of time and space. There is no sense of passing time with Him. That is for our earthly existence while here. But understand you are already, if you're a child of God, you are secure there. It is our position in Christ. But guess what? He has given us a life here, right? He has put our spirits inside of a body, right? He has put us in a place where there is time, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we live out this Christian life in this world so that we might declare the praises of the one who has already called us to himself. And so while we are here, as we are living out daily the struggle of the Christian life, we learn to sit at the feet of Jesus as his disciples to learn from him, to grow in him, to be taught by him, like Mary was in the gospel, sitting continually at the feet of Jesus. Every time we encounter Mary of Bethany in the scripture, she is in the same place. She is sitting at the feet of Jesus. So it is our position in Christ in eternity, but it is our posture before Christ in this life. Are you faithful to sit at the feet of Jesus? Do you spend time daily in His Word? Do you spend time daily in prayer? Do you spend time daily learning from Him and being strengthened by Him and growing in Him? Are you committed to a local church and are you faithful to a local church? Because it's absolutely necessary. It's the only way God works in these days in which we're living. He works through local churches. Are you fulfilling the one another's of Scripture with other believers to love one another, fellowship with one another, encourage one another, provoke one another to good works, and so on and so on, some 30-plus one another's in the Bible. That's what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus. It means to obey Him. It means to live in submission to Him. So that's what sit is all about. It is our position in Christ in eternity. It is our posture before Christ in this life. Does that make sense? I'm not saying do you fully grasp it because I don't either. And if you do, please give me some help. I have a hard time understanding how I'm there and here at the same time and uh, expect to be over there in just a few minutes, all right? But that is what it means to sit before Christ and to sit in Christ. Second word is the word walk. The word walk. We didn't get to that yesterday. The word sit has to do with our position in Christ and our posture before Christ. The word walk has to do with our life in this world. Okay? The idea and the concept of walk 
our Christian walk. When the psalmist says in the Old Testament that we should give thought and consideration to how we walk in this world, he's talking about how we live out our beliefs, how we live out our life in Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, I believe this passage will be, yeah, let's read this out loud together, would you? I, I discovered this passage. In fact, a, a friend who is now in the presence of the Lord uh, shared with me very personally one day uh, this passage, and it made a difference in my life. It made a mark on my life. It truly was emblazoned in my mind and my psyche. Let's read this together. Therefore... As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. I don't mean to make you thirsty. I'm just very, very dry this morning. So walk in him. Have you received Christ Jesus, the Lord? Joey testified to that this morning. This act of obedience and being immersed in water did not change his soul or his spirit or his destiny. It was a step of obedience. He had already made the decision to put his faith and trust in Christ some time back. But this was a step of obedience. It was walking in Jesus. As he had therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, he took this step of obedience to begin walking with Jesus. And that's what baptism is. It is an outward sign of an inward change. Baptism has never saved anybody. It's never opened heaven's doors for anybody. It is a step of obedience, saying to you, my old life is dead and buried. My new life has started, and it's a way of showing that to the world. That's what it's all about. And as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk in Him. You don't have the prerogative, Christian, to choose your own direction in life. You don't have the prerogative, child of God, to walk as it pleases you in this life. It's not about you. Jesus bought you, paid for you at the cross, he chose you in eternity past. He saved you in time and space here in life. And as a result of that, it is our responsibility. It is our calling. It is our Christian obligation to walk in Him. Walk suggests there is a destination in mind. It's not to aimless. He didn't say, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, aimlessly amble your way through life. That's not what he said. He didn't say that you are to uh, 
to choose a direction that, that pleases you. He said you are to walk in Him. You are to be built up. You are to be rooted. This Christian life and Christian growth, the roots go deep and they grow strong upward and established in the faith just as we were taught and abounding in thanksgiving. Well, what does that walk look like? Well, the book of Ephesians has several characteristics. Let's just read some selected verses and let me point them out to you, okay? Because here in this book, Paul describes the Christian walk. You can go to other books of the New Testament and Old Testament, find other characteristics. We could probably list a hundred, but I'll just list for you five or six. Look over to chapter two, first of all, and notice that this walk that we are to walk is a prepared walk. It is prepared. Now, verse 2 of chapter 2, talking about our old life, says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You once walked in a way of death, trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But go down to verse 10. Now, after salvation, what does it say? We are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now listen to this. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared works for us. He has prepared a walk for us. And now that we have been redeemed, now that we've been saved, we are to walk in His prepared way, His prepared footsteps. So it is a prepared walk. You don't have to make it up as you go along. Read the Bible. The Bible will instruct you. Follow its guidelines. Obey the Word. You'll be walking in the prepared way of the Lord. Secondly, it is a worthy walk. It is worthy. It is worth your time. It is worth your effort. It is worthy also because it is of great worth. Look at chapter 4. Turn over there, if you would, in your Bibles. And look at verse 1. I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The book of Ephesians, like other of Paul's letters, is divided into two major parts. The first part is almost always doctrinal and theological. He's teaching us some deep spiritual theological truths. The second part is practical. It's the how-to. This is the what to believe. This is the how to live it out. And it just so happens that Ephesians has six chapters. The first three, the first half, are theological truth. This is what you need to know. And then the second three chapters, chapters four, five, and six, this is how you are to live in light of those truths. And so chapter four, verse one, is the transition verse. It says, I urge you, therefore, to walk because of all of these truths, these deep, wonderful 
truths of the first three chapters. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You see, you've not only been chosen and predestined and all of that, you have been called. God's called you to himself. Without the calling of God, none of us would ever choose God. Did you know that? It's impossible. And it's exactly as that last song said, that if, that if he had not called us and chosen us, we would still be rebelling against him even now. But he does call us. And his calling is effectual. That means it is always bearing fruit in our lives. You have received a holy and a divine call from God to be his child, to be his spokesperson in this world, to be the bride of Christ, to be the body of Christ, to flesh out his truth in the eyes of a world that desperately needs to know him. It is a worthy calling. Not worthy of you, worthy of him. It is a high calling. It is a glorious calling. And we need to respond to that call and to walk in that way, that worthy walk he has called us to. Amen? Are you with me? All right, let me give you a third characteristic. It's not only a prepared walk and a worthy walk. It is a walk in unity. It is a walk in unity. But Steve, can I get you to pull me up just a little bit, please? I'm kind of strained here this morning. It is a walk in unity. I believe this is a message that the American church needs today, maybe more than any other message. I'm not talking about some false unity that just says, let's get everyone together and bask in the love of God. Because you cannot walk. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes says this. How can two walk together except they be agreed, right? Well, as we are agreed on the doctrine, on the truth of God's Word, we need to walk in unity. And yet the Lord's churches, many of them in America today, are so torn by strife, are so torn by division and disunity. I hear pretty regularly about other churches in other places, in our denomination and some outside of our denomination, that are torn apart by competing agendas within the church. That this person thinks we ought to go this way. That this person thinks we ought to go this way. That this other person, they have their group and they believe we ought to go that other way over there. And that the church gets torn apart because of division and strife and envy and competing agendas. Listen to what Paul says about that. Follow me if you would in your Bibles. In Ephesians chapter 4 beginning with verse 2. Right after he talked about walking in a manner worthy of our calling. Verse 2 says... With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, 
one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. And what is he talking about? He's talking about unity. He's talking about oneness in the church. He's talking about people setting aside their personal preferences in order to fill the one another of preferring one another and living in unity. Let me say this about, about unity. It's a word of warning before I go on. We must always remember that within every organization there are the seeds of disintegration. Did you hear me? It's not on the screen. It won't be there. But within every organization there are the seeds of disintegration. That means no matter how close a group of people are, no matter how devoted they are to each other, even if they're just two people, there are the seeds of disintegration in that union. That's why so many marriages don't make it. And as wonderful and as close and loving a congregation as Calvary is, understand that even in this small church, there are already the seeds of disintegration that are planted here. Now, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, and I'm not pointing fingers at any individuals. Because I'm human, and because you're human, and we are all subject to sin, the seeds of disintegration are in our midst. They're in me and they are in you. And the moment that you and I begin to act and to live and to move in the flesh, those seeds will take root and begin to sprout and will begin to grow. And the fruit that they bear is a bitter fruit. We need to always be aware that Satan that Satan is ever present as a tempter and as an accuser of the brethren and as a great divider of God's people. Remember that. Now, in the New Testament, where the Bible gives four or five different reasons for church discipline of when we should, uh, of when we should discipline uh, members for wayward living. And the Bible talks about things like immorality. The Bible talks about things like uh, disorderly conduct. The Bible talks about warning us about those who teach heresy. That when you have immorality, when you have disorderly, unchristian behavior, when you have heresy, false teaching taking place in the church, you need to deal with that person or those persons. And if need be, you need to root them out because they will cause division in the body of Christ. But the Bible mentions another reason. 
for church discipline. And it is when someone is causing division in the body or disrupting the unity of the church. If you have somebody that all they can ever do is find fault with the church or its leaders or its direction or the people in the church, if you have somebody that is continually talking to others and persuading others to, to become disgruntled or unhappy, this is called disrupting the unity of the church. And I'm going to tell you, it is the most common reason for problems in the church that there is. It's the seeds of disintegration blooming and growing. It's that person that gets someone else to the side and says, well, let's go do this, let's go do that. And while they're out there doing this and doing that, having dinner together or whatever, all they can do is find fault with the church. All they can do is find fault with its leaders. All they can do is complain about the way the church does its ministry and its work. Now, folks, listen to me. You need to hear me because guess what? There's probably not anyone here, myself included, that has not been guilty of doing that at some time or the other, of expressing our displeasure and not expressing it to, to the people you need to, the leaders or whatever, but to other people and causing them to be unhappy, causing them to uh, not be in unity with the church. And did you know that of all these reasons, heresy, immorality, disorderly lifestyle, disrupting the unity, the Bible speaks most often about those who disrupt unity more than all the others and reserves the harshest language for them. Listen to what the New Testament says in the book of Titus. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him from then on, knowing that such a person is warped. That's what the Bible says. That's not what I say. That that person is warped, and he is sinful, and he is self-condemned. Do not have any, don't give a hearing to him. And then in Romans 16, it says this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. Some of you right now know of somebody doing that kind of thing, either at this church or some other church. And you need to hear what the Scripture says. The Scripture, it says that you are intolerant of that kind of behavior. Well, this walk that God's called you and me to walk is a walk of unity. It's a prepared walk. It is a worthy walk. It is a walk where we walk in unity with one another. Number four, it is a separated walk. A separated walk. Ephesians 4, 17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. The Gentiles 
is an expression here that has reference to those who are not Christians. So what is he saying? When you follow Christ, you're not to walk like unbelievers walk. You're not to walk as Christ rejectors walk. You are to walk a separated, different path from them. Number five, it is a walk in love. It is a walk in love. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God. Well, what? God is love, is He not? Isn't that what the Bible says? Jesus showed us true love. Be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved and gave Himself up for us. Are you walking in love? Boy, these last 15 months of COVID and going back for another year before that, a year of political campaigns and political rhetoric and a contested election and all the aftermath of all of that stuff has exposed a lot of our hearts and lives. A lot of times what you see Christians saying, what you see Christians posting on social media, what you hear Christians express is not love at all. It's not a Christ walk. It's not Christ talk. It's a lot of other stuff, whatever you want to call it. But if we're to walk in Christ, we are to walk a separated walk. We're to walk a walk of love like Jesus. And what goes with that is number six. It is a sacrificial walk. Not only a walk in love, but a sacrificial walk. Verse two that we already read of chapter five. As Christ loved us, and what did he do? What does it say? Verse two. Gave himself up for us. That's the walk we are to walk. To give ourselves up for one another. To give ourselves up for others. Sacrificial, loving, and separated. Number seven, it is a walk in light. In light. Verse eight of chapter five. At one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. As children of light. And number eight, it is a wise walk. A wise walk. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. So what does it look like when we walk in Christ? When we have sat at his feet and learned from him. And then as we flesh out what we've learned in the Christian walk in this world, it's a prepared walk. It is a worthy walk. It is a walk in unity. It is a separated walk. It is a walk in love. It is a sacrificial walk. It is a walk in light. It is a wise walk. I hope you're seeing a pattern here. That we sit before Jesus and learn from him 
but then it is important for what we learn to be put into practice. And so the life of a true disciple of Christ also involves a walk in this life. It's a walk of surrender, a walk of faith, a walk of obedience. It is living out and fleshing out the truth of God's Word of Scripture in our daily lives. It involves trial and error. Will we fail? Absolutely. But when we do, we get it back up. We let Jesus dust us off. And we began again. And then we began again. And again. And again. And again. It's never ceasing. Never stopping. And when we stumble, we always stumble forward, making progress. And as someone said, listen, if you fall down and stumble in your Christian life, well, at least pick something up while you're down there so it won't be a wasted trip. Amen? When you stumble and fall, learn something from it. Then get back up and continue on. Sit, walk, number three, stand. I'll just leave this very brief. To stand is our attitude towards the enemy. Chapter 6 of the book of Ephesians tells us to put on the whole armor of God. Why? Because there's a war. You're going to be attacked. You're going to have to fight. You're going to need to be able to stand firm when the enemy comes against you. Not to be rolled over, not to be destroyed, not to lose the battle. You need to stand. And it's only after you have sat at the feet of Jesus and learned and then walked faithfully in his footsteps that you'll have the strength to stand firm in the day of battle. Look at it this way. We sit before Jesus as a student. We walk with Christ as a servant. But we stand for Christ as a soldier. As a soldier. Listen to these words. Ephesians 6, 11 through 14. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. To stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore. And we'll stop our reading right there. Stand, withstand, Stand firm, stand therefore. Folks, the countryside out there is littered with people that have not been able to stand against the enemy. Something happened in life and it absolutely waylaid them. Their walk in Christ stopped. They got creamed. And as a result, they've grown bitter. 
As a result, they have grown hardened against the things of God. They never darken the door of the church. They care nothing about the people of God. They find themselves very cynical against the truth of God. It's because they didn't sit at the feet of Jesus. They didn't learn to walk in the pathway Christ had for them. And when the enemy attacked, the enemy succeeded. It may be that that actually speaks of someone here. But did you know it's not too late to get back up? It's not. You can get back up. God will help you do that. He will restore you to useful and meaningful service. He will restore you to a life of blessing, to a life of victory, if you want it. Someone here, it may be, has never been truly saved. You've never been born again. You don't know what it means to sit with Jesus. That idea that of being in the heavenlies with Christ is totally foreign to you. But did you know that it could be there's someone here that in actuality you are already with the Lord there. It just hasn't fleshed itself out in your life here. Will you receive Christ as your Savior today? Will you walk in Him? Will you follow Him? Will you be people of the light, living out the life of love that glorifies Christ and points people towards Him? I pray that you'll surrender your life to Him today. If you have any questions about that, if you'd like to inquire about that, see Pastor Dan, see myself, see Brother Bentley, see Jason, see David Cook, see Justin, one of your elders. We'll be glad to pray with you and talk with you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for the blessing of it. May we be faithful to sit at your feet, to walk in your path, and to stand against the attack of the enemy. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.